Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of On the Blood Trail. Uh, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're out in the woods. Uh, we're actually in bear camp. Uh, still a little bit early. Can't see any snow behind us but there's snow behind you. Um, just doing a little bit of bear hunting. We got uh, my brother Ryan. How's it going everyone? I told a couple stories that involved Ryan being with me and being pretty frustrated with me. So now you can put the face to the name and we got a good friend of ours Spencer Minchow. Oh, well. And uh, Spencer's been hunting with us. I think Ryan actually got Spencer into hunting for the most part. So we uh, definitely had some memories made. Uh, today we're going to do a little bit of talking about bear hunting and some other stuff surrounding bear hunting. Uh, and I'm actually going to start off a little bit so you guys get a bit of a background. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us about uh, the first bear you killed and how that all went down. Uh, first bear I killed, I believe, was should have been about 12 years old. Kind of up in the backcountry, it was probably third week of May, and uh, it was actually it was a multi generational hunt we were doing. It was with my grandpa, my dad, and Tyler, and uh, we kind of got up this little piece of road. We come over this up this road, a bit of a hill that kind of crested down into a valley, and on that hill it was a four way stop. And at that four way stop, you could you just kind of crest the hill, and you could see a bear coming up the road. And uh, so you know we kind of scrambled out of the truck. Get the gun, load it up. I was pretty young, right? So my dad's really coaching me into it. 12 years old, right? And uh, got in position on the road, just on the other side of the four-way stop, just kind of waiting for that bear to come up. And uh, that bear came up the road. It was about 500 yards when we first seen it. And it came through about 50. And uh, made a good shot on it, shot it front on, kind of hit it just a bit to this side, dropped it in its tracks with 30 odd six. And uh, I, I mean, there was video footage at the time of that bear hunt, and I got a little bit more rowdy after I shot that bear than I should have, but it just kind of goes to show how exciting a bear hunt really can be. So Ryan, uh, earlier in that day, you had the chance to have your first bear be a, a pretty nice colored bear. We couldn't close the deal, and it was something I talked about in my last podcast with uh, Buck Fever. Why don't you tell us about that a little? Yeah, we, uh, we had gone down into this cup lock, and we, when we had turned around, all of a sudden, I mean, it couldn't have been 30, 40 seconds since we had gone down there and turned around and there was a bear, nice colored bear, nice brown bear, feeding up on the hill 300 yards away. And so we put a nice stock on it. And at the time, I mean, I had shot, I believe it was two whitetail bucks and a cougar. So I was fairly fresh in the, you know, harvesting animals. I made one long distance shot. I had made a shot at 348 yards on a whitetail. But you always kind of second guess and doubt yourself, you know, when you're, you're young, I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong. So when I lined up on this bear, we just had a bipod that you would screw and attach to your gun where your, your sling would go. And uh, I got lined up on it and I just, I couldn't find a way to get steady on the bear. And I knew how disappointed everybody in the crew would be if I wasn't able to get steady on this nice brown bear. And you know, if I wounded it, no one wants to chase a wounded animal in the bush. No one wants to wound an animal, you know, most of all, and I just wasn't comfortable with it, so I gave my dad the chance to take it, and he took the bear, and he made a great shot on it. We found it within 50 yards. <clears throat> Could I have made the shot? I mean, the potential was there, but the potential was also there because I was so rattled and fighting buck fever and also pure pressure that, uh, you know, you don't want to screw up when you're a young guy, so it can be a little difficult. Yeah, that's a really good decision because I know even speaking from experience, I'm sure all of us have had a situation where we've had an animal in front of us and we rushed the opportunity because we weren't ready and maybe it didn't end out the way that uh, we wanted it to. 
thought that was a good decision, and we did end up getting a nice bear because another guy had a tag. That was, that was Dad. Yeah. And, uh, beautiful bear. But, uh, Spencer, how about you? First time you went bear hunting. How about your uh, your first kill story? My first bear trip was about 40 kilometers from this location here. I was out hunting with Ryan and his dad. I think Tyler must have been working. Yeah, I was. Because <laughs> he didn't make it on that trip. We had found a hidden lease. We were driving around, found a hidden lease, nice and close to town. Spot's not the same as it used to be, but it used to be about four kilometers from town. You could walk into this lease and you couldn't see it from the roads. So there's about a 50 or 100 foot wide cut line that we'd walk down and found the lease. It had about, what was it, 200 yards by 200 yards? Yeah, it was nice square. Yeah, nice square lease. Had a, It was south facing, so the grass would grow there early. And we'd stalked in there a couple times, seen a few smaller bears. One time we went in there, there was a bigger bear. And I got laid up on a log nicely. First time ever shooting Ryan's gun. I don't. I know I missed. It wasn't the gun. We shot it after the gun was bang on. I think I might have had a little bit of buck fever or just it's a little heavier trigger than I'm used to. And like going through it, it's like, okay, the bear turned, looked like it got hit. Couldn't find blood. The, it ran off like it wasn't hit. Checked the trail, checked for hours there, found all kinds of bear sign, no blood, like no sign of a struggle or wounded animal. And I think we played it back thinking about it and we think I shot just under the bear and I must have pulled right off of it by squeezing the trigger. Then the following season, I ended up getting my first bear. We were hunting uh, by a gas plant, fairly new area to us at least time we're a little more familiar with it now that one we went down a road that we didn't first notice we flew by it multiple times all night long we were driving by that road yeah no idea it was even there. <laughs> didn't find any bears and then first bear we seen it was in a lease right beside a huge cut line so we were able to drive about a quarter mile past the bear get out of the truck stock made a nice broadside shot 100 yards bear charged at us for about 20 yards and then that gave me time to reload the gun of course then you're all excited aim right at the center of the bear but this thing's coming full speed shot right over it because i didn't think at the time like oh this this is a moving target here yeah but the bear only ran for about 20 yards i don't know if the gunshot turned it or what did but it just kind of did a circle and went right back to where i shot it and piled up that was a nice bear too yeah, yeah, and so I know I've already told my story about my first bear, and uh, it was actually my first animal. And uh, something that it, all three of our first bears have in common is that uh, it was all spot and stock. And we usually have a couple of different methods of doing it. Uh, for the most part, we have a, an area that we like to get into into the, the middle towards the end of May. Uh, it's when all the grass is green enough that you get in there and the bears are comfortable. They're feeding all over the place. Uh, they usually give you a little bit more tolerance for trying to sneak up on them or they're just not paying attention really. They're more in the mindset of getting that food and, and getting all prepared for next hibernation, I guess. And uh, so this time around, because it's today is the 1st of May that we're recording this, uh, it's, there's still snow on the ground. It's pretty early. It's been not the, the latest of springs, but I'd say we're a couple of weeks behind. Um, really. Yeah, and uh, so instead of uh, going to our typical spot, we're actually uh, hunting hotlines. And for those of you that don't understand what the hotlines are, 
Uh, it's where they got a pipeline running through the ground. Uh, it's usually pretty cleared. Uh, the hot stuff that's running through these pipelines, it, it just causes the grass to grow faster because it's it's getting more heat and the rest of the ground is all frozen and still waiting for the sun to do the, all the thawing. And uh, so that's that's what we do when we're hunting the hotlines and it, it proves to be pretty good. But uh, in the last couple of days we've had lots of hotlines to look at and not a whole lot of bears to look at. So yeah, it's been tough. I, uh, you, you come up with high hopes. It's the first time you know yeah. getting out in the season. Everyone's all excited. They want to pile in the truck, get out the bear camp, and run around in the bush. You know, see all these bears. But unfortunately, sometimes it can be just a little bit too early. Maybe the bears just aren't you know acclimatized to getting out of the den. So a few things can go wrong. Yesterday we had bad weather. Nothing is worse for bear hunting than rain and wind. Bears hate rain. They hate wind. They can't see, smell, and they, they just hate being wet, so they just don't want to come out. And uh, really quite evident in our hunt yesterday. I think we probably pounded for four hours we were out there. Yep. Not a single bear. I mean, we've seen some fresh poop. You know, they're there. Just got to be there at the right time, and that's, for the most part, what hunting hotlines is. It's very similar to hunting a bait in the sense that you're hunting a specific food source because it can only grow in a certain area but these hotlines can stretch for miles kilometers miles at a time and with all the hills and whoops and valleys that are on these lines and this different kind of terrain with the river valleys and the creek systems that are going through this area it can make it extremely difficult to locate exactly where that bear has been feeding and if you get lucky enough that you just pop over the right hill when you go for a walk or you see it from the road you know maybe you're quadding i mean there's so many different scenarios where you can spot these bears and then the next challenge would be stalking them and you know in this general area on the hotlines we find that we run a pretty good high success of getting a good shoot or a good shooting opportunity depending on the you know the scenario that we're in you know with wind direction but for the most part it's usually over 50 percent of the time that once you put a stock you can get a shot within about 200 yards yeah and we're doing a lot of truck hunting road hunting however you want to say it uh, reason for that is uh, you got to cover a lot of ground these bears are just waking up you're not entirely sure where they're they're feeding uh, where they're kind of hanging out in their more comfortable zone because a lot of times these bears wake up from their den and they take off for a big long stroll because they're not happy with just walking outside their front door and deciding that that's going to be dinner um, so we got to cover a lot of ground uh, the other part of it too is that, like as it gets later in the year it gets green in the bush and you just it's so much more difficult to find the bears because they're not forced to come out into the opening to do all their feeding and they spend most of the time in the trees and you can't exactly walk around in a lot of this bush it's pretty uh pretty tight in there lots well, of dead stuff lots of burnt stuff in certain areas but uh so we do a lot of the truck hunting and uh another thing i, I figured i'd bring up is uh some people don't understand why we do bear hunting. And uh, so I'm gonna, gonna start with Spencer here. Uh, but you know, why do you bear hunt? I bear hunt because when it's April and May, quite often like our fishing season doesn't open here until May 15th. So quite often in the spring, there's, there's not a heck of a lot else to do. I mean, I love getting outdoors. I love seeing animals and it, it's good management too. If you're gonna hunt all the deer and the moose and the elk, the predators have got to be kept in check as well. Yeah, I know there's there's cougar hunting. It's I believe it's fairly limited tag numbers around here, mostly with outfitters guided. Lots dog, dog hunts, hunting. dog yes, hunts, yeah. pretty much exclusively dog hunts here. And there's wolf trappers, so 
somebody's got to keep the bears in check and spring's a good time to do it because there's the cows or the the cow moose are going to be calving this time of year the does are fawning number on the calves bears are extremely good at following a moose that's about to give birth and just basically scooping up whatever she puts out and that's extremely hard on the moose population and if everyone wants to come out in the fall and Know, they want to do some moose calling they want to see some moose they want to shoot a moose and you know enjoy moose for one two years to come you know they, they have to control the bear population because you can't have big moose if you don't have little moose so ryan what about you why do you bear hunt you know for the most part as an avid hunter i love the sport i love all aspects of the sport and you can't solely enjoy hunting in my mind if you don't enjoy hunting every creature that there is you got to hunt you know your small game your big game your predators your herbivores your omnivores if you're able to get a good balance when you're hunting then you're able to understand the whole ecosystem of the area so if i'm out here just shooting white-tailed does i don't understand what it takes to repopulate to conserve really the renewable resource that we're given and in order to do that you need to understand how to hunt everything yeah i, I think that's a fair answer for me it's uh you gotta, you gotta be able to, like Spencer said, you gotta manage all the animals. And uh, we've seen it time and time again in the springtime here, we're looking for bears and you'll find cow moose that are running with their calves because they're afraid for their calves' lives and maybe even sometimes their own. Um, and in this area too, because we're doing all this uh, spot and stock hunting, we can't bait because there's grizzly bears and uh, grizzly bears are protected in Alberta. But uh, you gotta be able to manage the black bears. And we've seen the cow moose come out, they're sweating, they're running around. We've even seen, and something else that a lot of people don't realize, is a, a, a black boar, he'll go and he'll find a sow that has cubs. He'll chase every single one of them up a tree, if he gets them up that tree. And then he'll sit at the base of that tree, and we've witnessed this, and Jeez. spotted, Ryan spotted one time we were driving around, and he's like, there's a bear, and everyone's like, what, where? It was way up in the top of a poplar tree, probably 40 feet off the ground. And the boar was sitting at the base of the tree and he was going to wait there until those bears came down. And the mom would have had the fight of her life with that boar. And then as soon as the cubs come down, he'd kill the cubs so that the mom goes into heat and uh, he can he'll breed her. All over again. And he'll do it all spring long with every set of sow and cubs that he can find. And it's just important to do that. It's important to make sure that we're balancing the ecosystem. I know uh, Spencer and I shot some nice bears last year, which... We're going to talk about in a different podcast with a little bit better audio quality. But we took two big bears out of an area that we saw probably six or seven on the same strip of road. Yeah, but we didn't see a single cub. Didn't see a single cub. No. But the other part of that too is we took two very mature bears out of that area. And that gives all the younger bears a chance to grow up and have a more fighting chance at the food source there. And they're not going to be putting their lives in danger for a bear that you may not even see the next year. Because he may have been too old and just got grumpy, pushed him off, but he's not eating it anyways. Yeah. So it's very important to get out there, manage it. Uh, you got to balance all your populations or else you get a, an influx in, in certain critters. And so I, I think that's uh, a big reason why I, I do, I have to go out and do the bear hunting every year. Um, but it's important. You got to keep all the, all the numbers in check. One thing I'd like to touch on with the bear hunting and taking mature bears is just sprung a few thoughts in my mind, but those mature animals, quite often, if they are near death, it's a lot nicer death for them to end up shot by a hunter, and it brings kind of brings meaning to their life. Like, I mean, there's the money that your tags 
will provide, is going to help the sustainability of the hunting. It's going to go back into conservation of the animals, conservation of the land that they are living on. And advocacy groups are going to help preserve that, mm -hmm. that it's not going to all be developed or that you won't have over harvesting the forests, everything. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was watching uh, The Choice the other day, and uh, Ralph and Vicky made a good point about how if hunters are against each other, that's kind of our worst enemy, is ourselves. Mm -hmm. In order to preserve hunting and make sure that all of this lasts and, and that our kids can do it and our kids' kids can do it, is that we all got to be on the same side and working together and, and try to enjoy it together. And I know sometimes it gets tough because you run into other guys in your areas and you, you don't want to be having the competition but it, it's good it's healthy competition and uh yeah so something i'd like to ask you tyler how do you feel about the uh you know so-called quote-unquote endangerment of the grizzly bears endangerment on grizzly bears i want to do a full-on podcast about this at some point in time and uh back it up with a whole whack of stats but i know from our personal experience we run into grizzly bears every year uh, there hasn't been a grizzly bear hunting season in Alberta since, I, I think, the 90s. 98. 98? The year yeah, I was when born. They closed it. Um, I know a lot of people didn't expect it to close, but the animal rights activists pushed real hard and they got their way, uh, which they tend to do, because uh, hunting is on the decline, like I've talked about before, and all the antis are on the rise. So it, it's getting more and more difficult. I, I think that with all the attacks with the grizzly bears that you're seeing, that you need to see something put into place. Like Alberta, we got goat tags for mountain goats. Mm -hmm. It's like a handful of tags. It's less than a it's percent a chance to get drawn. It's really, really low. Why not do that for grizzly bears? Why not go into an area like that you know has a serious problem with grizzly bear encounters or attacks or whatever it is every year? And pick one or two tags. Yeah, let a couple guys go in there. They don't have to be in there at the same time. It can be it half can, a dozen tags for the yeah. whole province. Let the guys go in there. Try to take out a couple of mature boars because it'd be the same rules as apply with black bears. No sows, no, or sows with cubs anyway. Um, yeah, you, you take out a little bit more of the, the mature bears. And, and another thing that I really want to talk about that Spencer was saying with these animals that are at maturity and they're on their verge of dying perhaps. A lot of these times you, you'll go out and we've seen it with deer and I'm sure it happens with bears and every other animal. The very biggest and mature animals when they're going into the rut cycle or the, the feeding frenzies, they fight for their life. And sometimes they exhaust themselves right to the point where they can't even recover from that. And they just end up dying from from all of that uh, competition. And lots of times with a big mature bear, maybe he wears down his molars to the point where he can't actually chew or process food. Yep. And starvation is a lot worse of a death than you know a quick 30 seconds from a bullet. You know, yep. And I guess uh, to finish off on the, the grizzly bear thing, I th I absolutely think that there should be some sort of a limited season, a draw season of some kind. Like we run into grizzly bears in November while we're deer hunting, and I don't know about you guys watching or listening, but when you're out deer hunting, you're not always out there with your 300 wind mag or your seven rem mag. <laughs> I mean, when you run into a grizzly bear, that's yeah. It. You know, because in November, at that point, that bear is at, you know, it's a it's a fight or flight every time he runs into a scenario. So it's yeah. a risk-reward. Should I, you know, what risk am I putting myself at in order to get the reward of more food mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, 
pushing another bear or predator out of his area. Yep. And in November, that's what I would classify as waking up on the wrong side of the bed for a grizzly bear. Well, totally. Bear. They should be ready to be hibernating. And grizzly bears don't truly hibernate, which that's something that we know. Uh, but you don't want to run into them with your 243. Or your 257 <laughs> or, or your 6.5 Creedmoor that yeah. everyone is so, you know. Yeah, some of these more popular small long-range calibers, it's not a good thing to have in a situation where you may have to protect yourself. With and, a grizzly uh, bear, you're looking more so for... You know, a bigger bullet, heavier grainage, and exactly. a lot of these smaller flat shooting guns, they don't carry the umph or the impact necessary in order to, to either put a bear down or mm -hmm. to at least kill him without wounding him. Yeah, and a lot of people think that they'll just see these bears in passing and that they won't have an encounter with them. But when we saw some grizzly bears, I think we saw three different bears in two days when we were whitetail hunting in November a couple of years ago. And mm -hmm. uh, the local fish and wildlife officers were in the area because a grizzly bear went into a moose hunting camp and they had killed a moose in November. And when the hunters got back to their camp, this bear had decided that their moose was his. And he wouldn't let them back in. Nope. And that's a terrible thing to, to have to come across. Like, And that's why you'd want to make sure you have something a little bit bigger in the caliber. But if you're managing the bears in this area or those areas, then you probably wouldn't have so high of a risk of, of running into a situation like that. Well, yeah. Imagine for those hunters too, if, if they had happened to be in camp when that bear came in, he might have seen them as a threat to his carcass, and that yep. could have been the end of them. And I would say that 90% of the grizzly bear attacks are somebody accidentally stumbling upon a grizzly bear kill, not realizing what they're on, and the bear is very close by and very protective. And unfortunately, a lot of the times when it comes to grizzly bears, most people don't understand what they're coming into yep. or about to encounter, and the bear, you know, it's his instincts. You can't blame the bear for it. But as conservationists, we know as the populace that there's always going to be activists, people enjoying the outdoors. There's going to be hunters. There's going to be people hiking. There's mm -hmm. going to be people fishing. You know, anybody who's in the outdoors gets put at risk with animals like this. Yeah, and I, I talked about it in uh, my conservation podcast, like hiking and wildlife photography, all these outdoor activities that don't involve having a firearm with you or hunting, they're on a, a huge rise right now while hunting is on the decline, right? Yeah. And so you're going to have people in a situation like this where we're not managing these herds. They're just getting bigger and bigger, and these bears are getting more and more used to people being around, and that's not a good thing. You don't want a bear to be really comfortable with human beings being around, and that's a lot of the times what happens on a lot of oil field sites up here is these bears get really acclimatized. You know, people are giving it, they're throwing scraps out the windows. Cause yep. you know, oh look, it's a cuddly teddy, you know, it's a teddy bear. Yeah, they're saying, hey, there's that truck. It comes by a couple times a day. We're not really afraid of it anymore. Yeah, and there was a young woman that was working in a lease site up on one of the plants that I've worked at. And uh, she come out of a wash cart, you know, a bathroom. And there is a bear waiting for her as she got out and she was mauled to death. And unfortunately, that's what happens when you don't keep bears in check. You know, you, you get them too comfortable. They, at that point, now the risk is very minimal to get food as the reward is very high. And that puts us at risk. But then the other thing, too, is that bear that attacked her probably had to be put down. I agree. And, and unfortunately, if they would have controlled the population properly, yeah. they would have never run into the issue of having to put that bear down the way that they did. Yeah, so say you have a handful of attacks that result in a bear being shot every year, why not just have that handful of bears that are being killed put into the draw system so that hunters can go out and do it? I agree. And because, I mean, 
even on you know a restricted site like that we recently did a hunt in an army base yeah we did. very well done very well managed you know everybody's kept in check you have to wear your blaze orange it's you know short distance weapons we were using yeah. primitive weapons reports if you're going to be late <laughs> exactly you had to check in all the time and that's yeah. okay if someone truly wants to hunt and manage and enjoy the outdoors they have no issue with doing those kind of that you know meeting that criteria and so if we could do stuff like that i feel like a lot a lot more conservation would benefit from it yep and uh, i'm actually surprised we haven't seen a grizzly bear yet on this trip but uh, i'm we sure that we're due we're gonna see one before spring's over for sure probably a couple of them I know last year when me and Spencer and we brought my younger cousin Isaac out, we kind of went into the back country that Tyler was talking about where we would go, you know, later May. And uh, in that area, we had hit, it was a similar circuit of roads, maybe a 10 kilometer, you know, square. And on that set of roads, we had ran into a grizzly bear four different times. Could it yeah. have been the same bear a couple of times? Possibly. But the likelihood of it not being is very high. Four different encounters. And at one point, you know, I had rolled the window down at this bear and he huffed at us. And generally, that's a, an extremely aggressive sign. This bear huffed at a hemi. You know, this is a half-ton pickup truck. It's not necessarily what you would classify as a threat to a black, you know, or a grizzly bear. And this grizzly bear decided he was going to get aggressive towards a pickup truck. So how about you uh, just kind of touch on, uh, we're in a, a situation where we're doing a spot and stock. We're trying to close range. we got a good wind direction maybe even a marginal wind direction and you're trying to, to gauge this bear's body language while we're getting in to try and, and get a shot off. To me, one of the biggest giveaways of aggression for a bear is the fake feed. And that's where they get into a feeding cycle where they kind of look like they're eating grass. They might even try to open their mouth and look like they're eating, but you can, if you're close enough to this bear, you can see it's not actually eating. It's just trying to fake you out. And it's always watching and it'll just kind of, just give you a little head, head looks. And at that point, you know that that bear knows you're there. And then it starts to do stuff like, you know, the yawn, where it likes to open its mouth all the way up, show you its pearly whites, you know, like, hey, look at what I got. What do you have on me? And so at that point, you know, this bear is getting aggressive. It'll start to watch its body language, whether, you know, if a bear is feeding and it doesn't know you're there, it'll be turning its back to you. It'll be sitting on its bum. It'll be laying down. You know, it'll be doing all kinds of different things that it wouldn't really do if it, you know, it knew there was a danger or a threat close by. And so it's extremely important to watch that bear's body language, how it's looking at you, whether it's ears or back. Just kind of watch. If you feel like, you know, you're getting into a fight with a human being, you kind of read that other guy's body posture. Okay, you know, he's trying to puff his chest up. You know, he's, mm -hmm. if they're doing something like that, then you kind of would liken it onto a bear. And if he's, you know, getting all on edge and puffing his chest up, making him look bigger, you know, yawning, showing you his teeth. Be no different than a guy flexing his muscles on you. So yeah, and the other thing too is if you're in on a stock and your bear goes from acting like it's big and tough or the way that it should be presenting itself to very small and cautious, you're probably losing your opportunity for a shot. And uh, it would be a good idea to, if you're in position, to make one count. Um, because I know we've seen that before in the uh, the fake feed. And uh, even Zach's bear that he shot the other night there, he was doing a fake feed. He tried to pull a fake feed, and lots of times the fake feed isn't necessarily a, shine, a sign of aggression as it is timidness. Yeah. Lots of times when you get a bear and he, you know, he might be quartering away from you and he gives you that, that big eared look where he kind of looks back and all stunned like what's going yeah. on. At that point, that's a very timid, you know, he's scared. He's getting ready to bolt. He's aware that you're there. He's just keeping an eye on you. If you yeah. get within his close range, nine times out of 10, they're gonna bolt. 
but if you get lucky and you're in a you know a spot or a position where you got good back cover you're wearing decent camouflage i'm not going to say any camouflage is better than another at this point mm -hmm. but if you get into a, a spot where you're blending in and you're able to kind of get your silhouette down or you're blending into to the bush or the grass that you're you're maybe coming up over a hill and you can get down behind it if you can wait that bear out if you got to stand there and lock up in an awkward position it, it can burn your muscles as much as you want but if you're determined and you stay in that spot for it could be 30 seconds it could be two minutes it could be up to five minutes usually not more than five minutes with a bear mm -hmm. but if you can get that bear to relax to the point not as soon as it lowers its head down and you know and starts to feed again you know you don't just you know start moving again just as soon as it lets its guard down but let it kind of relax and get back yeah, into get that more comfortable you know get back into what it was doing you know in its natural state mm -hmm. then you're able to kind of get that next move on and we had that you know with a bear that zach got there the other night yeah. and it was just one of those things on these hotlines they produce heat and and nutrients for these for this grass to grow and it grows an unbelievable amount it grows six feet tall and when it it dies over the winter and gets matted it, it just it's like this big it's like a hardwood floor of dead grass. And so as you step on this grass, it's like stepping on a new box of cornflakes every time you yeah. move. And once you get into a situation like that, it's it's every step counts. Mm -hmm. You know, you only get so much forgiveness when you're getting up on a bear as they start to show you their body language. Mm -hmm. They start to realize that you're there. Of course, always trying to keep a low profile. A big profile is always a very intimidating thing to any animal. Yeah. And as you get closer to that bear, you know you really want to make sure every step counts and just really ease into the stock yeah. sometimes it's not about having a speed stock it's more so just about yeah. getting the job done just slowly and easily so spencer because uh, you're a little bit newer into the bear hunting than we are uh, what's something that with bears either surprise you that you could get away with or something that you can't get away with at all when you're on a stock one thing that really surprised me is how how sensitive they are to wind direction yeah. If you have any kind of a scent, like even, I remember in a few hunts I was trying to spot and stalk with a bow, and I'd be, I'd have all kinds of scent spray on and cover scent products, and as soon as you'd feel that wind at the back of your neck, that bear's gone. Yeah. It's either turning aggressively, sizing you up, or it's gone. Just a, a half a lick of wind going the wrong way, and yeah, they're not even coming back out. Whereas yeah. I'd, one thing I'd notice with that is a lot of times the white-tailed deer were hunting, whether they be out here in the bush or in the farmland, they aren't particularly heavily hunted. So they may be a little bit more tolerant to that, mm -hmm. especially those. Those with the white-tailed does, they may stand there for five or yeah. ten minutes after and really they want a sound or they want a sight before they're gone. It might also go to show that a bear's nose is more attuned to uh, smelling things than a deer's. But, uh, which is weird because <laughs> a bear is the king of the forest here. There's not much that's going to take down a bear other than another bear. So mm -hmm. for them to be so sensitive to, to foreign smells, it's uh, it's pretty incredible to see that an animal that's so big and mighty is uh, at the same time so timid and, yeah. and shy. Another thing I'd like to touch on that surprised me with bears is how from area to area, they their temperaments can completely differ. Oh, like yeah. we've had some areas around here where if they smell you, they're gone. And there could be other times that a bear will smell you and it'll want to come closer and check you out, be aggressive, and it'll, we've had them where it's, you're worried for your life at times. Well, we've noticed even with baiting, we had uh, some baiting setups that, I believe our dad had done them for well, over 10 years, mm -hmm. probably a lot longer than that, he'll know. 
and uh, we'd set up a bear bait. Man, it would be sitting there for three weeks. We'd be lucky if we got one bear on camera. It, it, having it even touch the bait was another story. And then we started baiting in a different area a couple years ago. And just, man, half an hour, yeah. we had bears. By you the end of the weekend, we had 12 different bears on camera. You couldn't even get off the quad. Because, yeah. I mean, you just knew there was a bear either yeah. close by or it was there. And actually on that specific bait site, me and Spencer had had a cub try to climb our tree while we were in the tree. First time I had ever experienced it. You always yeah, see yeah. the video of some guy, you know, he's got his little handy cam out and he's trying to stomp his bear's nose because it's coming up the tree. <laughs> and you never really think that would happen to you. But, you know, it's intimidating. It could be a 50-pound bear. It could be a 150-pound bear. But you know that thing has enough strength to rip a human being out of a tree. So. Oh, man, my odds are on a 50-pound bear over a 300-pound human. <laughs> 100%. And at that point, you, you don't really want to take any chances. But in that specific area where that bear had climbed our tree, those bears don't really fear humans in that area. And they really fear trucks, quads, ATVs, anything of that sort. But on foot, I've never seen an area quite like that where a bear gets so no. aggressive. and They're just, just so comfortable with you being in their personal space. It's scary. And yeah, it's, it's not a good thing when a bear is comfortable. I mean, I've had a bear stand up three yards away on its hind legs from me. And, you know, I was with my dad at the time. And I, I was personally, if I had a gun in my hand, I would have been out of land pretty quick but my dad had the composure to just we kind of stood the bear off and you know the bear would get down on its four legs and, and try to take a step closer and we're only three i mean i had i had a camera tripod that was probably three four feet long and i'm pretty sure i could have smacked him on the nose if i would have extended it and whipped it at him <laughs> and it was just that it was just the way it was he'd get down he'd just take a step back he'd take a step forward and you kind of we were just playing this game of chess trying to get our way out of that field and that so was the uh On that, uh, or in that area there, actually. So one time I went in to do a little bit of rebaiting and I had the quad running. I had some, uh, some meat scraps in a, like a, a bag from, uh, from some of the grain that we had. Yeah. And I was standing on the back rack of this quad, reaching as high as I could to try and get this rope around a branch or whatever. The whole time I'm doing it, there's this black bear sitting right next to the bait barrels on his bum watching me standing on top of the quad talking out loud with the quad running and i'm like well i know i can spend all this time putting this up here but he's just going to come and rip it down so finished doing what i was doing came back the next day and uh yeah he just tore the bottom of the bag open took oh, everything out of it is gone yeah. just a giant waste of time yeah. one other thing i think we should add about that area that we were baiting is that it was only about one or two miles from an area where cows were calving and I'm not sure how many of the local farmers had reported that were bear killed, but there was a great number. I, I'm sure it was more than 10 calves that had They're, their faces ripped off by a bear. Yeah, and if it doesn't kill them right away, it'll either come back in the next day or the calf has such bad injuries they that it green. just comes to the injuries. Yeah. And uh, so I guess we can get onto that topic too with, uh, with baiting because a lot of people have issues with baiting bears and, and baiting animals in general. In Alberta, all we're allowed to bait is bears and it's, very restricted like we were saying we can't do it here because of the grizzly bear population but uh in a few different areas that we've tried it it's uh it's actually amazing how few bears or how many bears you'll get to come into a bait site it can be either an extremely effective tactic or an extremely you yeah, know waste of time yeah it can be just a complete you know nobody would expect and the hard part about bear baiting that most people don't understand is the input of time and money that require is required to 
operate a bear bait and in specific multiple bear baits at that time we were running three different bear baits and there was two of us and we were always hunting together as a pair it's extremely hard to hunt three baits at one time mm -hmm. yeah. and so you know maybe you get a bear on camera at noon you quickly rip over to bait number three and you try and set for that bear at noon and oh let's try and go over here for an evening hunt <laughs> You sit on bait number one and it could be miles apart, it could be kilometers, it could be a hundred yards depending on you know who's putting a bear bait out. And in that specific area, we had a lot of success with one bait. And we kind of rode the coattails on it, but that didn't mean that we weren't putting hundreds of dollars of bear bait out on every single bait, you know, setting up tree stands. You had to go up months beforehand. You know, at that point, then you're dealing with deep snow, difficult conditions. Making sure all your shooting lanes are clear. It, it can be a very difficult thing to make a successful bear bait happen. Oh, it's so difficult to maintain and upkeep when you, you're driving hours and hours to make sure that you can do this. And sometimes we drive a lot of hours just to get to a hunting spot. But that's why with a spot and stock, it's nice because we can just drop everything on a whim. Come out here. Where we don't have to worry about no baiting. We don't have to worry about none of that. You just grab your gun, you go, and you hope to catch the bears feeding on the green grass. But... With the baits it's a lot of a lot of effort a lot of input and a lot of the times your biggest bears you don't even get a shot at them lots of times they become nocturnal just like in most areas like a like a saskatchewan where you can you know bait for whitetail bucks the big whitetail buck doesn't always come out in the daylight you know they're very nocturnal big bears are very much similar no animal gets big without being smart and yeah no you make a great point with that tyler it just is very much the truth well because we have one bear on uh the bait that you shot your biggest bear yep. and uh, you can sit there any night you want you're probably not going to see him but you'd have to sit there every single day from sun up till sundown until you catch a glimpse of this bear because once he comes into that bait he doesn't come back in in the daylight at all he just comes in in the dark it's one shot right at the yep. start of season and that's just the way that that bear is lots of times you know every bear has a character to it you know, maybe they're a little more timid or more aggressive style bear, you know, their, their habitual patterns. And with that bear, that's exactly what he did. He would always come in once at the start of season and then he was done. Yeah. It's that very similar it. to hunting a giant whitetail. Yeah. You got to sit there and if he makes that one day that he makes a slip up or a mistake, you got to be there for it or else you're not going to get it. Oh, and another, a, a bit of a different subject. I like to ask Spencer about this because, you know, I recall a good memory about it. Have you ever had a mishap when you were bow hunting a bear, Spencer? <laughs> oh, this is a beauty. Yeah, one time in that lease I was talking about where I got my first bear, I was spot and stalking a bear with my bow. And at the time I had planned, okay, if there's a smaller bear out there, I'm going to shoot with my bow. If it's a larger bear, I'm going to try with the rifle because it's a lot harder to get in on the bear. And it's cool just to have that experience of spot and stalking. So I get all stalked up to the bear, have Ryan holding the gun, and ready to make the shot. Go to clip my release on my bowstring. My release was in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because in that scenario, you'd think that you that's an essential tool. That's like forgetting the trigger on your gun. Yeah. But it's so easy when you get that adrenaline rushing because in that area, we knew there was bears in that loose yeah. every time we went into it. And it's so easy to get that adrenaline going and you just it just slips. You just forget that one thing. At that time, I just thought like, well, I know it's going to be really hard to stock up on a bear with my bow, but like I'll plan for the gun. I'm bringing the bow just in case I have a good opportunity. And that bear was 
it was in the middle of the lease, so I could stalk up along the edge and have my 40 or 50 yard shot, yeah. which at the time I believe would have been my ethical range. I'd question that in some scenarios for a range on a bear because you usually can stalk fairly close. Yeah. But in that particular scenario, it was, I messed up. <laughs> Spencer, have you had, because uh, I know Ryan and I have had our fair share, have you ever had a, a really scary or hairy situation with a bear? Yeah, one time we were, actually had a few with Ryan. Last year when yeah. we were out, we were hunting elk and mule deer. And we were dropping into a valley that's nearby to where we were hunting to start our morning hunt. There's, how do we have, we had three or four bears waiting at the top there, cruising around, going in and out of the cow pasture and feeding on fields. And as soon as they notice something's there, they're starting to come closer and closer. And at that point, we don't have a gun. It's too dark to shoot our bows because it was still 20 or 30 minutes before legal light. That one could have got really hairy. You know, that bear had, because uh, we had spotted one bear about 60 yards over this one side of the fence, you know, all this area we had had permission on. And we we're only maybe 150 yards from the edge of this river valley. And we had to get into that river valley and get down a considerable ways. We wanted to get down two or 300 yards past that edge. So it was going to take us that 20 minutes before legal light to get there. And all of a sudden we had heard a branch break. And it, what was it, 15, 20 yards? Yeah, we had ranged it. I believe it was right around 20 yards. And there was a bear coming through the fence right behind us. He was dead downwind. And that bear 100% knew that we were there. And that's the scariest part. When a bear knows you're there with a sensitive nose, you know, you know that it could get into a more aggressive or difficult situation, you know, even more so when it's in dark. You know, so would you say that's like one of your more scary encounters or is, is there one that tops your list? You know, like I was saying, the one that would top my list of all is uh, when I was with my dad last year. I've never never thought I'd see the day. It was only about a five foot 10 bear. Stood about as tall as I did. But when a bear is willing, at that point that we had seen that bear come out in that field a couple of times with 40 yards, he winded us, went back in the bush and he come out at 20. And you know, at that point you're like, okay, you're a little bit close. So we kind of got up, we kind of, we bluffed him, we spooked him. And all of a sudden we were hunting elk. It, it, maybe five minutes after we spooked him at 20 yards, he come charging through the bush, not running, but kind of at a trot, you know, an aggressive speed. And all of a sudden he was on top of us at about five yards and he was on his hind legs. And we're both standing there. We're a couple of pretty good sized guys, six foot guys. Mm -hmm. And this bear was on its hind legs at spitting distance. And there's nothing more terrifying than knowing that that bear is maybe two Mississippis away from ripping you apart, <laughs> you know, and you don't even have a gun in your hand. That's about the most, intimidating feeling I've ever felt. Huh? See, look, luckily enough in that scenario that would have been a healthy bear. Had that bear been desperate in a survival situation oh, yeah. where it's a, a leaner bear or one of these mature bears that has lost its teeth, yeah. that bear might be more prone to view a human as food or to have to defend its territory. And you know what's interesting about that, and I'm going to get back to uh, scary encounters here in a second, but uh, my dad took his brother out hunting uh, for bears for the first time. And that was quite a few years ago now. And around that time frame, somebody that had been camping out in the woods had been dragged out in their tent, tent by a bear, then ripped out of their tent and killed by this bear. And it was a black bear. I believe that bear dragged that tent over 200 yards. Yeah, it was a long ways. Can you imagine? That would be so terrifying. And so my dad took his brother out hunting and they came across this bear that did not care about 
them. Did not care about the truck. You could have gotten out and patted this bear on the bum. It probably would have bit your arm off. But it was going to let me get into that range. And it wasn't a huge bear. And it doesn't take a big bear to be an aggressive bear. It can be a small one. We figured that that one was a sow. And that, well, it was a sow. Close to that 200-pound range. She too. didn't have cubs. We thought maybe she struggled through the winter and ate her cubs when she woke up. Because they'll do that. Yeah. And uh, so my uncle decided, you know what? Might not be the, the biggest of first bears that we're looking for. But we're going to take this one out just because we don't want to see this happen to somebody else. So you, it's another big nod to conservation. And, and you got to make sure that if you're taking these weak or, or dangerous animals out of the herd, that you, you take that chance and that opportunity to do it. I remember that. I remember the story how my dad had said it. That bear actually, while my dad's brother was in the truck, followed my dad around the truck. Yeah, insane. And, at, at, you know, at that point, that bear is not looking to play ring around the rosy. That bear's looking to, you know, get a quick meal and you don't want to give you a hug. Yeah, you don't want to be <laughs> that quick meal. No. And so uh, back to the scary stories. It's funny that you brought up that you're elk hunting with that story because it seems every very scary story we have, it involves elk hunting. Yeah. And it's funny because I would rather be that guy that has a, a, a close encounter with a bear where the bear is huffing and puffing at me because I know that that bear is telling me, hey, I'm giving you a warning, stay your distance, or I'm going to come closer and you're not going to like what happens. Because we've had it before where we're stalking elk, we're on a cut line, and remember that one time you turned around and the bear was walking right towards us? Couldn't believe it. It was a oh. sow and it was a sow with a cub, which at the time I was fairly young. I was probably 14 years yeah. old. And that's terrifying. You're a 14-year-old kid. I'm bringing up the back of the bus. And there was four of us in line, and no one wants to be the caboose in the first place. And I don't think that bear knew we were there. That bear had no idea that no. we were there at any point. And it actually walked off the cut line on its own accord without ever knowing we were there. Probably within about, 10 feet of us. About 10 feet. Yeah. And I remember another time I was hunting down this fence line and uh, sitting there, and the wind was terrible. Blowing straight to the way that I had come in and uh, waiting for elk. Saw this cow elk poke her head over the fence, look around. She wasn't very happy about the wind, so she went back into the bush. And then next thing I knew, I'm sitting in the, the tall grass with my bow. There's this bear coming at us. And it, it's just, at that time of year, the black bears are getting grumpy. Grizzly bears, because they're up so much longer, they kind of have a little more tolerance at that time of the year. Yeah. But with the black bears, oh, man, you don't want to be on their bad side. And so that's a couple situations where elk hunting we've we've run into bears and i think the worst one for me was that one time we decided we were going to get into this new spot there's elk in the back of this field we, we knew that we could cut across cut in the back off. through the bush there's a tiny little cut line it was probably no wider than two men big enough to fit one quad down yeah exactly and we got back there there was i think two or three main trails that these elk were going to come across if they did and uh, Ryan and my dad decided they were going to go off to this next one. I'm standing off. next to a spruce tree like this, like in the boughs with my bow. And uh, I hear branches breaking and I'm like, oh man, the elk are coming. And I turn to my right to look and a bear comes out, jumps over this log. And it wasn't a big bear, but like I said, I'd give air to the 50 pound bear over the 300 pound man. And uh, this bear comes running right by me so close that I, it almost stepped on my feet and I could have kicked it. I had no idea I was there. I don't remember what camouflage we were wearing, but uh, tip was, of the hat to them. It was working. <laughs> and the uh, bear just walked right by me. I'm standing there with my bow, just like, don't move, don't breathe, don't want this thing to know that I'm there. And uh, 
Yeah. And, and the other part of it too is a person's got to be able to stay calm in a situation like that. There's a lot of people that have that bear come out and they just start panicking. And, you know, I will speak from experience. I get very, I, I'm not afraid to say it, scared when a very sizable bear, when a bear gets past, I say about the 350 pound range, once a bear crests that, it gets a mean look to it. It just gets a whole, it becomes a whole nother animal. It gets thicker. It's, it's the, the face looks, you know, it could be scarred. It could be just the, the snout is a little bit wrinkled. Like he's growling or, you know, he's frowning all the time. And when I get a bear like that within 30, 40 yards or, you know, even closer than that, that's about where I start to shake. And I'd be the first one to say, I've had a bear come really close to me and I've, I've made a, you know, I've taken a shot in self-defense and I've missed it. Straight up, clean missed it at 20 yards. You think you couldn't do that on a 400-pound bear, but I have done it, and that's solely because the adrenaline's rushing you and you just screw up. But you know, thankfully, in that scenario, that bear just turned and went the other way. You think about um, the nerves associated with getting set up and, and lined up on a, a trophy animal. Imagine having an animal you don't want anything to do with coming yeah. at you, and you're, you got to think real quick and make a good decision. Yeah, and if it's a life or death situation, I know personally. I've, uh, I've had Spencer at my side in a life or death situation with bears charging us and uh, I'd be the first to testify if I ever had someone I could choose, it would be Spencer because I've seen him. Yeah, in, that, in that scenario, it was, we were tracking a bear at the time, it was close to dark and we had shot on a bait. This was a different bear and we were we were a fair ways from the bait, I think we were two or three hundred yards away, yeah. so you're not in the general vicinity at all. And I had spotted the bear, yelled at it a couple times. And that thing, it went from going on a 45 towards us, and it was turned to come straight towards us, and it found the thickest brush it could so that we couldn't see it until it was right on top. Yeah, it's yeah. not good to have that kind of situation. And, you know, it, at that point, you want to have a good backup gun, which is another subject I'm sure we could get onto. You know, that was a 30-30 bolt action for a pretty cool little gun. Yeah. And uh, Spencer made good shots. Both shots were, you know, straight kind of in the neck, front chest area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it put the bear down, but... In a scenario like that, if you're able to hold your cool, that's pretty respectable. It's trade. not an ideal way to uh, to fill your tag, but if you have to, I guess that's the way that it goes sometimes. But like you're saying, man, having a, a good backup, even if when we're out doing spot and stock with the bows, if you got a second guy with you, make sure that guy's got a gun. In Canada, we're not allowed to carry a sidearm, unfortunately. It would be a, a huge advantage to a lot of hunters from a safety point of view. Yep. But having a good gun right next to you, whether it's a shotgun or a 30-30 lever action, something quick, something that you're comfortable with, that you don't have to take all the time to bolt it, and then you know, open just, sights is a exactly, big aspect open to it. Is yeah, huge. huge thing. Quick target acquisition is a key. That's mm -hmm. a must-have in a life or death situation because you can't turn your scope power down, or even if you do have it at three power. That's still the rarity of being able to find a bear at 20 yeah. yards charging you. It, and not just finding the bear, but finding your kill zone. Yep. And you know, that's where you get that open sights. You get that full view of what's going on around you. You know, you can even watch around you at that point. You know, you know your, your whole surroundings. And you know, personally, my favorite backup gun is a 30-30 lever action. You know, you can fit a good few rounds in it. It's a good know. push gun. Yeah, it's, it, it pounds through brush pretty easily. It's got pretty good grainage. It's one of the lightest guns you can buy too. Yep. At least for us here, it's, I would say it is the lightest gun that you can have carrying 
on your side as a backup gun. It's what, what do they weigh about five and a half pounds? Yeah, and I mean at that point they're a pretty short gun. They're easy to maneuver. You can throw them over your shoulder, however you want to do it. Throw them in your backpack, and they're as far as I would say probably, in my opinion, the best in Alberta, the best backup gun you can have for anything going up to to black bears, up to even what I would classify as smaller grizzlies, maybe not. At that point, you might want a forty-five seventy. Yep. That would be. That would be maybe a more ideal gun, but not everyone's going to want to shoot a forty-five seventy. No, and it's, it's uh, I would say no matter the caliber, but like you guys are saying, it, it's important to make sure you know what stopping power you're holding on to, but it's good to make sure that you do have that in a situation just in case you need it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, also, to be practiced. Yep. You want to make sure you practice. You know, you don't even necessarily have to hit your target all the time if you're free-handing because in a situation, I know some guys that are better at shooting targets than they are at shooting animals and yep. vice versa. But you just want to make sure you're comfortable with the gun, you know, where the safety's at, you know, what you got to do for the lever action or the bolt action or the pump or however you're operating that weapon. You just want to make sure you're comfortable with it. Yeah. And you've shot your 30-30, you're comfortable with it. But because we're out here, we're doing some bow hunting, we did some target practice with the guns today just to make sure that uh, even if the gun is on, you want to make sure that mentally and, and uh, just the reps that you go through in shooting that you're still on. 100%. There's lots of times you, you get into a fresh season, like we said, this is our first trip out. And you may not have that muscle memory or that, that continual practice that you carried over from last year. Yeah, the excitement might take over and then you forget a step and the next thing you know, something doesn't go the way you planned it. Very much so. But uh, I know we've talked for quite a while. Um, I think I'm going to try and do some finishing remarks here. Um, I'll start with Spencer. What would you say, because there's a lot of people that try bear hunting that don't care to do it ever again, um, and you're avid, you want to do it all the time, every year we're out here doing this, but uh, what would you say was the one moment in bear hunting that made you go, yeah, you know what, this is a blast, i got to do this again? I'd say it would be your bachelor trip, I believe that was four years ago. The thing that I loved with it is that we're out here in April, and we're bush camping. Like, just the experience being around you guys, and anybody who's in bear camp with us, it's it's an amazing experience being out in the spring, seeing all these beautiful places, and the fact that you are helping with conservation is, is huge. Yeah, and, and the camaraderie of having everybody with you, because it's so easy to get on such a low if you're by yourself and things aren't going as planned. On that, uh, that trip there, we had some really good moments and some really poor moments, yeah. but we all had such a blast. We were in there together, and we just kept pushing each other to enjoy it. Likewise with this trip, we've only actually seen one bear so far yeah, yeah. and we're not sure what the reasoning is i mean i think we're early maybe there was a lot of winter kill deer over this winter yeah. but the thing of it is we're having a great time out here yeah and we're seeing more and more bear sign every day we're finding scat on lines that we've walked since we've gotten here that wasn't there when we first walked it, yeah. it we know they're there and like any other animal you just got to be there at the right time just got to cross paths with them just that one time to see whether or not it's A, a shooter, and B, if you can shoot it. Yeah. And uh, so, I don't know, we're going to have a good time with it. Even if we don't on this trip, we're going to on the next one. It's okay. even a great yeah. time not seeing bears, just being out here in the bush. like we're Getting away from everything, getting yeah. away from the coronavirus nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, oh, this is awesome camping out here. Yeah. So, yeah. Ryan, what about you? What's uh, What was your, uh, your one moment that just you're hooked? You know, it's kind of hard to say. You know, with bear hunting... I've had so many good memories and encounters. I think really over the years, what got me hooked, not just on bear hunting, but hunting in general, was, was moments 
like watching my brother get his first bear. Seeing the adrenaline and, you know, the, the stock and, and just being on hunts like that, that's really what got me into bear hunting and, and to be such an avid hunter throughout the years. But if it was a personal experience as to which bear I shot, I'm probably going to say that it would be... Whew, that's, a, that's a tough one. I'm going to say it's probably my first bear. Yeah. I'd say it's my first bear. Just having the experience of such a an amazing creation come at you. You know, it wasn't aggressive or anything, but just coming up the road and getting so close and just dropping it in its tracks, just that kind of an experience and having my grandpa there, you know, now that he's passed, just having those memories to hold on to. I, I find that those are Well, that whole trip in general was a blast, but your bear that you shot was uh, the second of three we got that day. Yeah, and was, when uh, you can go out and you can harvest so many nice animals like that, you know, and, and see so many, it, the hunting may be not so good anymore in that area as it is now due to you know, winter kills and logging and all that but you know just to be able to have those experiences it's pretty hard to shy away from the spring when yeah. you know that there's the potential of memories like that are coming back yeah and i always tell people like you can go through uh, all my antlers or my photo album and i can tell you to the detail a story about every single animal that i've ever shot i can tell you a lot about ones that i've missed or just had an encounter where it didn't work and that's the biggest part is making those memories. They last you forever. People are like, well, I just see a, a set of antlers. And I'm like, you know what, man? You have no idea. Sit down. We're going to be here a while about that one pair of antlers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. And I, I think for myself, uh, what hooked me on bear hunting, that's a hard one. I, I've i said it before that, that shooting my first bear was really what did it. And I think in a broader picture, every star trick a bear but put yourself into a position where you're in the power to close the distance and, and, and take advantage of their body language and, and that situation there's just something about it that can't be mirrored or mimicked it's it's such a, a high knowing that you can get within that close range of the animal and there's a lot of times we've done it just for the sake of trying it and, there, and we didn't have intentions of shooting the animal but it's just it's so cool to be able to do something like that and uh it's with bears i find the stalking is second to none because with a deer or a moose or an elk if you ever try to stalk one of those animals you need a crop you need them to be in the bush laying down you need you need a situation that's so optimal that it just doesn't it's rarely ever existent and with bears you can turn just about any situation as long as your wind is good and you're you know able to read the bear's body language and you know you have the right terrain to do it you can almost close the distance anytime on a bear. And sometimes the best way to do it is in a black hoodie and blue jeans. It depends on the bear and its body language. But yeah. yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate uh, you guys watching, taking the time to listen. Uh, if you liked what you saw, let us know. Uh, you can find On the Blood Trail. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. We got it streaming on, I think, 10 different podcast services. This is going to be on YouTube as well as on uh, the different streaming services so if it seems like we're we're trying to show body language or something and you can't understand what we're doing it's because this is being videoed but i'd like to take the time to uh thank spencer thank ryan uh and I always appreciate you guys taking the time to sit down and uh, discuss some hunting topics with me and uh, for the viewers the listeners and i'm sure we've got lots more that we could talk about and i look forward to doing a couple more hopefully sometime soon here. Well, thanks for having us, Tyler. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right.